Welcome, friends. My name's Tammy Simon, and I'm the founder of Sounds True and creator and co-host of the Inner MBA program. It's my delight to share with you this exclusive Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO podcast series. The series is built from interviews that Soren Gordhammer, co-host of the Inner MBA, and I have conducted over the past three years. The series features over 40 transformational CEOs from around the world, running a diverse range of companies, all with a shared mission, that business be a force of collective good. These conversations are rich and meaningful, open and candid about personal failures, discoveries under pressure, and breakthroughs. They feature leaders who have faced enormous workplace challenges and have emerged as inspiring wisdom figures, bringing a depth of real-world insight to our work together in the Inner MBA. I've gleaned so many practical ideas from these conversations, and I trust you will too. Thanks in advance for listening, and please let us know about your experience with the Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO Podcast Series. Hello, friends. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Here we are in Inner MBA community meeting at a kind of unusual time. And we're meeting with a very, very unusual and special human, Alex Pryor. It is such a great joy to be able to bring Alex here to the Inner MBA. Alex, tell us where you're joining us from, just here to start. Well, hello, everyone. I'm here in Patagonia, in the north portal of um, of Patagonia called Villa Langostura. It's a beautiful, you know, area of lakes and rivers and forest and very well protected in, through national parks. And so it's summer and it's long days and... You've been enjoying the the family and and the connection with nature and, and taking a pause here. We are so fortunate that Alex is bringing his unique, I'm going to say it, his unique energy and his unique genius, business genius here to the Inner MBA. He was born and raised in Argentina and is one of the co-founders of Guayaki Yerba Mate a social purpose corporation. It's a very unusual tea and beverage company that is firmly and clearly focused on regenerative business. It's a private company that has 135 different owners, annual revenue north of $100 million, and it's a beverage company that's focused on being self-distributed which is extremely unusual in the natural products industry for a beverage company of that size. 
And we're definitely going to hear more about that. Alex is the father of five children, and I had the great joy of spending a little bit of time with Alex in a previous call. And what I felt was that the motto of Guayaki Yerba Mate, come to life, is something he really embodies, which is why I'm so happy that he's here with us. There's something about his presence that brings more life, more vitality into the space. So what a joy to have Alex here with us. Alex, right here at the start, for people who are like the Yerba Mate plant, a beverage company based on the Yerba Mate plant, will you introduce us to the plant? <laughs> what an honor. Thank you. Um, yes, I, I sort of like believe that the plant um, has served um, as, as an act of love because I've, from my early memories, I, I could, I can still smell the plant being served um, and brewed by, by my mother in a, in a traditional, you know, gourd and which is, you know, you, you, we use a, uh, any type of container to, to have the plant in there and drink it out of this metal straw with hot water, with cold water, and we share this among friends and family. And um, it's, it's such a traditional, you know, um, mantra in our cultures in Argentina and Brazil, Paraguay, that it almost, when you grow up in this culture, um, it feels like it's just a part of your of your family, of your of your roots, a part of your body. And so, for me, um, I, I for me the discovery of of the plant and really the call um, was didn't happen until I, I I moved to the U.S. to study and in San Luis Obispo, California. That's where you know everyone's ask precisely this question what what is yerba mate and at the beginning i i wasn't sure how to describe it because it was something that was so embedded in, in my culture my identity that i had to explain well who i am and where do i come from and geographically culturally um and in in many different forms right so um just not to answer linearly this question, but but the, the yerba mate, it's a tree that it's native to an ecosystem called the Atlantic forest. And it occurs in, in the coast of Brazil, and then it starts to go inland towards Argentina, northern Argentina, Iguazu waterfalls, you're probably familiar with that area. And then also um, more inwards towards Paraguay. In, in an area where it's just like filled with rivers and rain that it's being produced by the Amazon and it comes through the flying rivers and it's just very high in biodiversity. It's a subtropical rainforest. And the yerba mate tree, it's actually a tree that grows in one of the stratas of the forest and can grow up to 30 feet high. So it's an, it's an amazing tree that um, then eventually has been, you know, discovered obviously by the indigenous Guarani and, um, and then, you know, in the very traditional way being 
we prepared that that we can get into it if if you want now or later right that's a little bit one of the things that's so interesting to me because i want to get more of course into the business of guayaki yurubamate and the origin story of the business and everything but i wanted to start right here with the yurubamate plant because my sense is that you ready i'm just going to go out on a limb and start us right there uh is that there feels almost like there's a kind of consciousness in the yerba mate tree in the the plant consciousness that you tune into with your co-founders that's informing the business in some way so i wonder first of all do you think that's true and if so what the heck does that mean No, absolutely. It it is guiding us, and it has, you know, um, in a way, served us as 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 the guiding light to really make decisions all along the way. And um, you know, the the legend of the Yeromate. Let let me just go back a second here. The Guarani legend. There's obviously lots of legends because there are storytellers, and one can resonate with different storytellers, and and then they become legends, and then you know, you sort of like tap into that one that resonates with you. The one that resonates with me and with the company is that through the migration, the Guaranis moving from one village to the other, the elders and the weak will 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 die. No, and in an act of love, this young Jari, her name is Jari, decides to stay with the elder, with her grandfather, and in gratitude for that the spirit of the plant becomes human in her with all the knowledge and all the medicine properties and that the plant has. So then it sort of like surrounds this community with this mantra of drinking the mate in the mornings as a a vision quest plant where it would identify the collective dreams, the challenges, the opportunities. And then from there on, the communities will make a decision of what they were going to do that day. And at the end of the day, they would drink it again and they would share the learning experiences from that daily journey. So that then has become a cultural tradition in modern society today across Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay. Maybe, Maybe just touching the surface of it, but where we still are sharing you know what are what are our challenges what are our opportunities and what are our dreams so it's a really powerful plan and that when you take it into the business and you ask the plant to precisely give you that same information through this mantra through the ceremony it just becomes quite clear and i don't want to sound simplistic here but if you sit around a group of leaders they're taking decisions and you share something with them and you you share a plant with this wisdom and you have to share the challenges and opportunities and dreams that you have for the business on a daily basis it's quite interesting because you start to exercise the dialogue the collective thinking a larger purpose than the individual purpose so it brings that sharing and serving yeah, purpose into the individual, but it takes it into a lot into a bigger 
and larger purpose that allows for the community, that allows for an organization, that allows for a business to really sort of like build a team and, and bring congruency and bring this daily mantra and ceremony into it. It's very powerful. What would you say is the larger purpose of Guayaquil Yerba Mate that you're all serving? The larger purpose, it you know, this is a, a question that we ask the plant on on several turning points of of the life of of the organization. But there's been a consistency that the vision has been inspire others to dream, to come to life. To, um, to really bring that knowledge, that deep knowledge that each one of you have, each one of us has from our ancestors and our learnings, um, our reconciliation, our forgiveness, our gratitudes from where we're coming, from the cultures that we're coming, to really allow us and give us the courage in this present moment to open new possibilities to open new paradigms of ways of, of doing business. You know? So I think that is the purpose and where we feel we have the strongest impact as a business is not only the internal impacts that we have in our internalizing the externalities of producing the product, but more than anything, inspiring others to really explore other possibilities of, of ways of going to the market. And I'm phrasing Nora Bateson. There's two ways to go to the market, right? You know, you go to the market to buy bread or you go to the market and you buy bread. And this last one, it's really where the magic comes because the market allows you to see a lot more abundance than just purchasing that bread. Purchasing the bread is sort of like a lineal way of thinking that there's nothing wrong with it. It's just something that we, it's a behavior that we've had for so long. But changing that paradigm, seeing that we can go to the market and exchange and talk to the healer and talk to other people and then Oh, actually, you buy the bread and maybe you actually buy some fruit and actually you get a massage and actually you also get a ride back. You know, there's so many things that happen to the market. And that's how I feel that Guayaquil's vision has been to not only regenerate the source of the Yerba Mate plant and, the, and where the Yerba Mate plant comes from, from indigenous communities and the small farmers, but also regenerating the market, bringing back that value. That, and that's how I resonated so much with Nora Bateson when she, she just coined that concept of the two ways of going to the market. Now, you said something interesting, Alex. You said, in addition to internalizing the externalities as part of the way Guayaki goes about operating, can you... Uh, Help me understand that. What what you meant by that? From from the from its conception, I mean, it, it, the 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 what made Guayaquil different from the start was that 
I was looking together with David and Chris and my first, my initial partners, we were looking for a different way of doing business, of going to the market. And, um, and there was a challenge because we were not a nonprofit and we were not a business that was maximizing profitability and minimizing the cost and leaving all the externalities out. But incorporating the externalities, we will have a direct impact. So this was like 1995, when bottom, triple bottom on the line was being defined by John Elkington with Cannibal Forks and Emery Lovins with Natural Capitalism and Paul Hawking. No? But we were like right at that time initiating this small business. Imagine we were in college students, 25 years old, in San Luis Obispo, coming out of school. So we were just this bunch of you know students with a new idea. But um, it was unusual. It was it was walking in the desert. Nobody really believed that much in us, except family and friends, and um, and that's how it started to grow. You know, today we we look back, and and we say, okay, twenty seven years have gone by, and and now Guayaki has inspired many other you know B corps and movements and businesses all around the world. But at the start, I think this is the key that I want to make is you're walking alone. Nobody believes in your idea because it's something new. And that's a good thing. You know, we need to bring these new ideas and put them into practice. And, and the, that feeling that we have really inside of us, bring it out. And that's, it's so rich. And it comes from our ancestors. It comes from where we're coming from, our cultures. It comes from the plants, from the tea that you're drinking or the food that you're eating. It, it's being fed from everywhere. But we need to connect into that and be brave enough and have the courage to really walk those new pathways. You know, Alex, I'm uh, sitting here, I'm drinking some Guayaki Yerba Mate with you. And as I was having a, a few sips, I thought, I wonder how would I describe the taste? And uh, I'll, I'll pass that over to you. How do you describe the taste of Yerba Mate? And how do people in general have you found? How do people describe it? Well, first, usually smell it, no? And um, you can smell a good wine. And so you, you, you try to um, find the terroir. And um, it takes me directly to the rainforest. So when you walk in the rainforest where the yerba mate grows naturally and it's endemic to, it smells just like this. I can't taste the rainforest, but in a way I can represent it in the plant. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to use words like earthy and rooty, something like that. So I, I like that. It's like the taste of the rainforest. And then I thought to myself, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that this company exists and has grown to be a hundred million dollar company the way that you and your partners have gone about it. That's the thought I have because it tastes, I mean, it tastes like the rainforest, a nice way to put it. Another way to put it would be it tastes a little bit like dirt. I mean, I'm not saying that in a, in a, I like it. I like yerba mate. I like the taste. But then I thought, okay, here they are. They're college students. Tell us how you did it. How, how do you introduce people to a flavor like this and get them to see 
its uh, its gorgeous relational possibilities. Well, one of one of the, the great, I think, virtues that this plant had, um, this is a plant that you can mix with anything else. You can mix it with other herbs, and it acquires the flavor of the chamomile or the mint of the rosemary mixed with the with the orange peel or you know so um you can add sugar you can you know prepare like a mate latte and that uh, with soy milk or with almond milk and honey and so it it has it it really there is many ways how to prepare it and how to serve it the actual guarani in paraguay they drink it out of the out of the horn and in the water, they add all the herbs and medicines and they drink it out of there. So it actually tastes really well, especially if you add like grapefruit or orange juice. Or So what we did initially was to be able to, to prepare it for a larger audience in many different ways. And you could choose. You can choose however you want to prepare it. I actually like lemon or actually I like mint or actually I like sugar or I actually like some stevia in it. Great. They all go together. You can actually even put some coffee in it, and it tastes good. You know, and then I'll I'll, I'll just show. I think everybody's familiar with it with uh, with the cans. But then we, we we introduce the the cans, the the glass. So we we introduce them as as um as medicine, adding organic sugar, adding organic herbs in it, and making it you know more friendly than the gourd and the traditional way of how to use it. But essentially, here's the medicine as well, served in the can or serving in the bottle. And that's how we've been able to expand and amplify the regenerative mission and vision of the plant. I don't know if it's saying the plant, but yeah, in Guayaquil, you know. And then we can get into the name of Guayaquil and what does it mean? Because we didn't. But, yeah, please tell us. Well, what's interesting was that initially we started working with Paraguay called the Ache Guayaki. They were living in the last remnants of Atlantic forest. And the idea was to, to help them empower their culture, their identity, the plants that they would drink and that they would honor. And the Yaromate being one of the central plants in their communities so we learned from them that it could be cultivated in the shade you don't need to cut the forest down because it's a shade grown plant and um and so we we said why don't we honor your name and call it Waiaki? and they said perfect so we, we ever since the beginning we have an agreement with them that we can use their name and we we pay them royalties for using the name and the name in itself, actually, we learned later that it was it was it had a negative connotation. And I go like, what do you mean? It's a negative connotation. It's like this is not a very good marketing name. Then, well, of course, nobody can pronounce it to to begin with. But second, if it, it has a negative connotation, I mean, this is a terrible decision, marketing decision to make. But why was it and has a negative connotation? Was because actually ache meaning people, guayaki meaning wild. 
So there was a negative connotation for being uncivilized as non-domesticated by other communities, by the colonists, by the church, and so on, right? As being these wild people that actually didn't even lived in malocas, they lived in the forest floors and hunted and gathered. So that was actually, you know, um, not valued at all. Now we, we, we realize that we have this name and it's not a coincidence, I think, that we have this name. There's, there is a truth and reconciliation to be made with this name about what's wrong about being wild. Do we have to all be domesticated, colonized, one way of thinking? Or is it not, you know, wild being something negative? We're trying to reconnect with nature. There's so much healing that we need to do. And we think we have this opportunity through this plant, through this company to do that. And that's what we're trying to communicate. That's what we're trying to reach out with this, you know, product that looks you know very capitalistic and you know it's trying to gain more distribution and more market and everything but really the larger purpose behind it is this purpose to regenerate our identity as a species and our connection back with nature and we have this name oh my god you know it's these are the things that have become very clear to us as leaders of the company and it has, as you say, as a miracle, in a way, it's been attracting people that feel this and realize that this is actually the, the path to go. We need to regenerate our spirits. We need to regenerate our identity. And this is an opportunity to do it in the market. This is a huge opportunity. Now, Alex, uh, we had a participant write in, uh, how is the packaging regenerative, uh, holding up the, as you're holding up the can? And I'm, I'm curious to know if there have been compromises that you've had to make along the way and what those might be and how you work that out. Absolutely. I mean, so many compromises. You know, the can, this is aluminum. This is not regenerative, the can in itself, the packaging, you know, but is it the most regenerative? Is it more than glass? It is. Is aluminum is most available mineral in the planet? Yes. Can it be recycled 100%? Yes. Where is it being produced in China? What type of source of energy are these factories um, utilizing? Carb, the, the burning coil? Oh my God, this we need to change. We need to find another one that's producing aluminum from non, right? Let's go domestic. Let's find uh, one in the United States what's sourcing the from the end. These are all the learning journeys, you know? These are the, the regenerative purpose that we have in every single supply item in the life cycle of the products that we're introducing to the market. Now, it's an opportunity. But there is definitely compromises, and it's not at all perfect. And there is more carbon being emitted through the cans and the shipping and transportation. And these are the challenges that we are facing 
as the, to go to the market and asking others, how can we change? How can we make this more um, regenerative from a market side of view? Especially, especially when you see a society as the American society that consumes so much, right? It's a high consuming society with a high footprint coming from a lot of raw materials from South America, Africa, and other parts of the world from the oceans and whatnot, right? And, you know, these countries, these ecosystems, these cultures that are representing these raw materials, are cultures that don't really have much consumption, don't have that much emissions as the one in the United States where the market comes from. But they both can complement each other. There's an opportunity here. Yes. There's an opportunity to change the way that we go to the market. There's an opportunity to change the way the aluminum industry works or where our, the water comes from, right? Uh, the bottling company, is it in Los Angeles? What type of water is it utilizing? Where is this water coming from? Is it coming from Colorado? So all the, uh, these are the living the question. It allows us to be in business and ask all these questions and not really be guided by the set of principles of regenerative principles. And, and John Fulton is going to kill me because he has prepared, you know, eight principles that I think they're wonderful. But it's, I think it's even better if we set our regenerative set of questions, open questions, because they're going to come. And one solution is going to take us to another question and then to another solution and to another question. Like tell, tell me the kind of questions you're referring to. What are you thinking of as you're, as you're saying this? The questions that, that where is, where's the water coming from? How, how can we um, internalize the cost of, of manufacturing a product that uses so much water and that it's extracting that water from, from a place like Colorado River. Right? How can we work with to compensate that? Is it something being done in the Sierra Nevadas where you know it's being protected, the watersheds? Are we working with the concept of interdependence with the Amazon where it's producing all these flying rivers they're feeding the rainfall in the Atlantic forest where the Yaromatic's gone. Are we working together with indigenous communities in the Amazon, in another ecosystem? These are the type of questions that we are asking ourselves while we're in business, that it's not just, a, this is not a business to be a, for profit. We're, this is a business that has a purpose, that has a, an elevated purpose to regenerate the market to regenerate the supply side, right? And the, and people need to believe that this is possible. In reading about Guayaki, I was introduced to this phrase. I'd never heard it before, but uh, market-driven restoration. And that historically, Guayaki has paid more than the market rate to help the communities that are harvesting the mate so that they can preserve the forest and make a livable wage. And I thought that's such a powerful action to take. And wasn't there any nervousness? Other companies are going to come 
and they're going to pay a much lower rate and their products are going to get onto the shelf at a cheaper price selling mate? How can we afford to do this? Yes, there's there's always the fears that interfere with our dreams. And, you know, I just had a conversation with, with my coach a couple of hours ago about fear. And I feel the fears. And, and she said, well, are they really fears? Or come, are we taking a pause and making decisions? And um, that have a consequence that goes beyond our individual value. When you make decisions that the consequences of your decisions involve so many other people, you you take more pauses. You really think through the pros and cons of that decision that you're going to make. And I think with the market-driven, we started with market-driven conservation, then we went into market-driven restoration, and then we went into market-driven regeneration, where we found that regeneration is not only about bringing a, you know, a fair price to the supply chain, but where we need every single Careholder to be that regenerative agent. In other words, I mean, it, it might sound a little confusing, but you, Tammy, and everyone in this call, you are regeneration. You are regenerating your cells, your body constantly. Every decision that you make involves degeneration or regeneration, right? And it does involve a lot more careholders than just your body and your family and your household. Yeah? Especially when you go and you buy food every day or beverage that you drink more than three meals. So with, yes, we, we, we pay you know more than the market value. Yes, we have less margin than maybe other competitors. But we're making a difference. We're still 27 years in business and we haven't been bought out. We haven't been out of business, you know, it's, which is unusual for a beverage company. Um, we, we're growing slowly, but sticking around longer, right? Why? Because there is a larger purpose than the profitability, than maximizing profit and minimizing costs and satisfying LPs or venture capitalists, there is, there is a larger purpose. And of course, the articles of incorporation with the big corporate helps because it brings that framework, legal framework that protects the organization purpose over the interest of the individual shareholder. Yes. But that should be represented also by, by a river, by a mountain, by a forest by future generations too. We're just being guardians in this space and time, briefly in the life of this earth. And we need to realize that this is really important in every decision that we make, individually, 
as an organization, in our churches, in our schools, in our communities. And that's how we, we don't define what regeneration is to all our team leaders and to all the organization members. It's like, you define it. You create your own regenerative world. How would you like to be in a regenerative world? We need everyone to come to life with that question. Beautiful note to end on, embodying the regenerative spirit here, each one of us. Let's uh, open up our mics and thank Alex so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to leave your comments on this interview here on the platform. And if there's a socially conscious CEO that you'd like us to interview as part of the Inner MBA, please let us know at innermba at soundstrue.com.